Now today I've got a question for you. How many of you like the idea of peace? Anybody like the idea of peace? How many of you right now in one or more of your relationships are longing for peace? What price would you put on peace? What would you be willing to pay right now to be able to have peace? Not only in your life, but in the life of those around you. You see, I think we all want peace. The problem is very few of us pursue peace. And I think the reason why is we don't know how. And so now as we come to chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, as we continue in our series, Joy in the Journey, Paul provides us with God's prescription for peace. And we're going to read the first nine verses together. This is where we see two women that have this huge conflict in the church. And so often what we do is we segment scripture and we just pick out that one little section. And what we end up with is a partial prescription for peace. And I don't know, I know I don't, and I hope you don't want just a partial picture of a prescription for peace. So turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to you, Yodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked hard along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learn and receive from me, everything that you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. It's here that Paul reveals three aspects of God's peace, and the first is peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you and I are sinners that are separated from God because of that sin. The Bible says that we are enemies of God, and Because we are enemies of God, Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross of Calvary. This is what I call a saving peace. You see, there's a vertical dimension to this. And I want to ask you today, do you have peace with God? Do you have that saving peace? Are you absolutely secure in knowing that you're saved today? Has there been a point in your life where you've admitted that you're a sinner and you've cried out for Jesus Christ save you? Because here's the thing, if you're struggling today trying to answer that question, do I have peace with God? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to email me. I want you to text me. I want you to Facebook message me. I don't care how you get a hold of me. 
preferably today. But send me a message and let's sit down and talk. You see, the second piece that he talks about here is not just you and I being at peace with God, but having the peace of God. This is that peace that transcends all understanding that guards not just our hearts, but our minds in Christ Jesus that he just got done talking about in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You see, this is a securing peace. And there are some of us today, we have that saving peace, but we don't have that securing peace because we're not really walking with Jesus. The last is peace with other people. But here's the thing. If you don't have peace with God and you don't have the peace of God, it's really hard to have peace with people, isn't it? You see, this is the horizontal dimension to our relationships. This is what I call a serving peace. And many of us today, we're satisfied to have a saving peace and maybe even a securing peace, but we really don't want to have a serving peace. We really don't want to extend God's peace to the people around us. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Notice Jesus didn't call us peacekeepers. Today, we want to try to just keep the peace. We're called to make peace. We're called to extend the peace that God has granted to us to other people. As Christians, we should be known on this planet as people of peace, not children of conflict, like these two women that are at war. And so how do you and I have that kind of peace? What is God's prescription? Well, the first thing that we see here is that you and I, number one, need to have a proper people perspective. You need to have a proper perspective when it comes to people. Now, notice there is a problem in this church in Philippi. There's a major conflict going on. Now, I'm going to step out on some ice here. Hopefully, it's thick enough. It's been cold. But this is a war between who? Two women. And ladies, you know how to fight. I mean, if there's anybody on the planet that knows how to go to war, it is two women facing off. Can you, can you picture how ugly this is? Now, do you notice something? Paul doesn't start by talking about the problem. Paul talks about the people. And what is his perspective when it comes to people? They're his family, right? You and I need to have that perspective because sometimes when we get into fights, we forget that people are people. Social media has not made us more social. It has made us meaner. The digital age has dehumanized. We say things on Facebook that we would never say face-to-face. If you are a Christian, I need you to, to listen to this. This is not just a suggestion. This is a command. Stop fighting on Facebook. The world is watching. You are not going to reconcile your conflicts through Facebook. It is through face-to-face allowing submission to God the Father. And again, Paul focuses on family. What's the first thing that we forgo when we get in a fight? Family, right? Husbands and wives screaming at each other, kids. We forget that we're family. What happens in the church? We forget that we're family. How does Paul talk about them? Notice his first words, I love you. Three little words. Do you realize that every single one of us has a longing to be loved 
and a deep desire to belong. And here's what I've discovered. That sometimes the reason we have conflict and a lack of peace is because there's a lack of love for one another. Some of your kids right now, the reason that they're acting out and they're rebelling, they're crying out to be loved. And the reason that you have conflict in your family, it isn't so much because they're bad kids. They just want to be loved. Now, those of you that get to know me beyond just being a platform preacher will discover that some of the most common words I speak into people's lives are those three little words, I love you. And this is always amazing to me. It always freaks men out (laughs) the first time I say that to them. I look them in the eye and I just say to them, look, I love you. Or I end a conversation on the phone, hey, praying for you and I want you to know I love you. Uh, Yeah, okay. Here's what men in our culture do when we say, I love you. All right, that's weird. Let me ask you, is it weird? What did Paul say? It's only weird because we have adopted the culture of our community and not a Christian culture. Paul wasn't afraid to say, I love you, to his church, right? I'm not afraid to say to my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I love you. And here's the thing. The reason that we do that as men, that we become uncomfortable, is we think that if we speak these words, I love you, it will somehow lessen our masculinity. Now, let's talk about being a real man for a moment. Let's talk about Paul. Walked all over the Roman globe, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you men think if we put a pair of flip-flop sandals on you and sent you to Lincoln and back, to share Jesus with people. Let's go to Omaha. And you share the gospel in Omaha and then come back. And then we're going to send you somewhere else. And then we're going to send... How many of you think you could handle that? See, we think we're real men today. This is a guy that was shipwrecked on numerous occasions, spent 24 hours in the water. I don't know if I could paddle in place for 24 hours without drowning. This is a guy, five different times in his life, he was whipped. 39 lashes, 40 killed a man. This is a man's man, and what does he say? I love you. Who do you need to say to today, I love you? I have grown men that, that in counseling will share with me at 60 years of age, my dad never said, I love you. And some of you got teenagers, and you're like, you know, I tell my kids I love you, and they go, whatever. Uh-huh. They still need to hear it. When you're at school, Sometimes it's, it's uncool to yell down the hallway. I understand. You know, I had teenagers in school not too long ago, and it's uncool to yell down the hallway, Hey, Olivia, Sophia, Christopher, I love you. Right? Here's something we did in our family. When I do this, that means I love you. That way on the basketball court, whether things were going great or things weren't going great, they look up in the stands. Your kids are always going to look at you. I love you. Who do you need to tell that you love? Secondly, he says, I long for you. Can I suggest that what you long for is what you love? The problem in our culture today is we have replaced a love for people with a love for possessions. We're ruining relationship today because we're loving riches over relationship. Now, God did not say in the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll give him more stuff. He already had a whole garden. He had work. He had everything that he needed. You see, he was rich when it came to possessions, and he was poor when it came to people. What are you longing for? 
Then he says, you're my joy. Do you find joy in your relationships with people? Do you rejoice in your relationships? Many of us, what we're digging up today is the junk, not the joy. And and it amazes me how we're not finding joy in one another because here's the thing, you are a unique creation of God. When I go to the mountains and I just stand and look at the magic, there's a certain amount of joy that comes from just looking at God's creation. That's what you're doing every time you look at people. But you see, unlike the mountains, you were created in God's image. You are reflecting him. Find your joy in your relationships. Then he says, you are my crown. What if we would treat people like treasure? If I would really look at you and you're my crown, how much of an investment would I make in your life? What would that do to conflict and, and what would that do for peace? He's talking about future rewards here, and I want you to notice we are not rewarded for all of our physical accomplishments of building a business or anything else. We're rewarded based on how we treat one another and our relationships with one another. So here's the question. Do you have a proper people perspective or a polluted one? Second, prescription for peace, your position in Christ Notice what he says here, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. This has to do with your position. You see, we have this thinking today that our conflict really just reflects on us. But if you're a Christian, you represent Jesus Christ, and your conflict reflects on Jesus Christ. And how are we reflecting Christ to the culture today when the church is constantly in conflict, when our marriages are constantly in conflict, when our parenting with our kids is constantly in conflict? What we're saying to the world is, I know you're living in a dysfunctional family. Just leave that dysfunctional family. Come live with our dysfunctional family. We haven't figured it out either, but, you know, just trade trade dysfunction. These two women, they were mature women in the faith. Paul describes some things for us here, and he says, these are women of the word, but they traded the word for war. These these are women of of worship, but, but they traded worship for worry. These are women who were witnessing for Jesus Christ. Now what happens to their witness? And I want you to think about in your marriage, I want you to think about at work with your coworkers, with your kids, what witness are we being when we're in constant conflict? And so here's the question. Are you responding based on your position in Christ? Or are you reacting based on the problems of your crisis? Are you making it about your problems or your position? Number three, gets practical. Pursue peace. Paul here doesn't just preach it, he practices it. He models the message for you and I. And parents, how many of us have ever said, all I want is a little peace and quiet, right? Those of you who are like me, empty nesters, are going, sometimes it's a little quiet. Maybe I I could handle a little of that noise, okay? But here's the question. Do you want your kids to get along with their siblings? Do you want them to have peaceful relationships? Then here's the suggestion. Don't just preach a message of peace. Practice a message of peace. And so husbands, wives... 
how are you modeling peace in your relationships for each other? Because some of us, we're just screaming at each other and we're screaming at our kids and our kids are screaming at their siblings. Husbands, are you just raising your voice and teaching your son that if you just overpower the conversation and gain control, that that eliminates conflict? Ladies, are you rolling your eyes and saying whatever and treating your husbands disrespectfully and teaching your daughters to to, to diss their future husbands? I wonder today in the church, are we going to follow God's prescription for peace or are we going to train up a whole generation of kids to live in constant conflict, conflict with each other, conflict at work and conflict at home? So how do you and I pursue peace. Well, first you got to admit there's a problem. And this, I don't know why, is a struggle for many of us. And I've been in situations where someone's gone to somebody and they said, hey, I know something's wrong, the way, the passive aggressive, the whatever, I, something is not right in our relationship. Let's talk about it. Nope, everything's fine. How do you deal with something if you won't admit you've got a problem? Secondly, you've got to take personal responsibility. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever had a problem with another person? Anybody? Let's get charismatic about this. Let's not be shy. Okay. This is shy. How many? Put your hand. If you've ever had a conflict, a problem with another person. Okay. There's a few people in here who've never had a conflict. Wow. You should get up here and preach. Here you go. Now here's the second part of that question. How many of you were the problem? Right? That's what we want to do, right? Now, suddenly, all of a sudden, there was almost 97% of us that had a problem with other people, and there was 27% that were the problem. Here's the thing. If we don't take personal responsibility, and it has become a major problem in our culture, we will never resolve the conflict and we'll never have peace. Let me share a painful part of my past. When, when my son and I were in, or he was in, I wasn't, <clears throat> we're in junior high. This was our relationship. We were button heads fairly constantly. And from my perspective, he was the problem. Do you realize that when you have those kinds of relationships, your conflict spills over into other people's lives? My wife ended up trying to play referee, trying to be the referee between loving her son and trying to respect her husband and trying to figure out how do I get these two men in my life that I know love each other to actually love each other. Here's what happened. God cornered me. Now, why did God need to corner me? Because when you're not taking personal responsibility. If you're not in a corner, you have plenty of wiggle room to keep blaming the other person. And many of us today, we're playing the blame game. Have you ever heard of the scripture, fathers? Don't exasperate your kids. That was me. I was saying and doing things that hurt his heart that caused him to feel like he needed to react. 
And then I was blaming him for his reactions. And some of you today, God needs to corner you. And he needs to reveal to you in his word that you've got to take personal responsibility for your part of the problem. And in that situation, I was creating the problem. And some of it was out of fear because I didn't want my son end up being a disrespectful person or I didn't want this or I didn't want that. And I was projecting fear on things. And some of us were peering out of fear instead of faith today. When I changed, almost miraculously, he changed. What does that tell you? The problem was with me, how I was responding. And here's the thing. Some of you in your relationships, like in your marriage or in your parenting, you're looking at it, and and maybe you're only 20% the problem, and maybe they're 80%, and so you feel like because they're more of the problem than you are that you're not a problem. Deal with your part of the problem. Even if it's only 20%, in my case, I was 100% the problem. So how... Do you and I follow God's prescription or what is his prescription? Well, do you notice here that Paul doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about the cause of the problem? He talks about the cure. In fact, we don't even know what the cause was. It could have been that they both showed up on the same outfit on the same day. Okay. That have been men, instant friends, women, not so much friends. But it could have been something big. It could have been something small. And here's the real issue. It is okay to discover the cause of your conflict, but don't focus on the cause. Focus on the cure. Some of you today, you've never resolved those conflicts. Now, you've spent all of your time for the last 20 years talking about the cause and how people hurt you and what they did and and every minor detail of the cause, but you've never taken a step towards the cure. And what is the cure? It's that you and I would follow God's plan for peace and not our own. Are you going to make it about your want, your way, or God's will? So what is God's will? John 13.35. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you go to church a lot. That's not quite what it says. If you tithe a lot. No. If you read the Bible a lot. No, by this, all men will know you my disciples if you love one another. What's the first thing that we stop doing when we get into conflict? Loving people. Love is an action based on your attitude. And today we're, we're saying love is a feeling. And when I'm in conflict, I don't feel like loving you. So therefore, I'm going to throw love out the window. But do you notice here that the great apostle Paul doesn't wade in and say, you know what, you two women, I am so mad at you. He, he says, I love you. He includes them in that. Now, one of the reasons that we struggle to love is because many of us have broken ways of dealing with conflict. And we're going to talk real briefly about three of those. And the first is a fight to win. Fight to win people try to gain control, but they lose connection. Now, what's interesting about all three of these is that we sometimes will have a general preference towards one or the other, or there's times where depending on the person that we're with and we're having conflict with, we'll switch between these. But fight to win people, make it about being right 
not about the relationship. You see, the problem with this way of handling conflict, it's about me, not about we. So let's say Angel and I get in a conflict and I decide to be a fight to win person and I just happen to be the quicker one on my feet and I just happen to throw out more horrible things that I say or whatever and I win the argument, right? I've won the battle. But in order to win, someone has to lose. And if we're talking about the relationship is we, and I made it about me, and I won, she lost, the relationship lost. I had a couple in my office one time in counseling, and they, they were having some struggles. And finally, the wife just said, you know what? I'm tired. I'm done. I'm tired of always being wrong. I'm tired of always being a loser in every argument. And I'm just done. And you know what the husband said? Well, you know that's wrong. Divorce is wrong. Uh, do you want me to show you in the Bible? What's he doing? He's still fighting to win. Think about this. He has lost the war and he's still trying to win a battle. And there are some of you in your relationships, you're winning every single battle in your arguments. But you're losing the war. Because the battle is not over me. The battle and the war is over we. Second way that's broken. This is withdrawal. This is the majority of our culture today. I think we've moved from a fight to win culture to a withdrawal culture in many ways. Personal conflict. And so when there's conflict, here's what we do. I don't like conflict. It makes me uncomfortable. And what am I doing right now? I'm withdrawing. But what did I also withdraw from? The relationship. You see, in order to be comfortable... At all costs, I've lost connection. Whether you're a fight to win or withdraw, the same issue is the same issue. You've lost connection. Whether it's because you want to be comfortable or you want to gain control, you still don't have connection in the relationship. And it's amazing, when you get a fight to win person with a withdrawal person, the fight to win will like actually take that step towards, they'll take a step away. And there's couples that actually will follow each other around the house yelling, and then one of them will lock themselves in the bathroom. That's the withdrawal person. Next one is yield. This is seeking false peace at all costs because you just want everything to be fine. Don't rock the boat. We don't want any problems. We, 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 want, we can't entertain any conflict in our life. And so what we do is, nope, you're right. It's okay. Whatever you want. And there appears to be peace. In fact, if you get a fight-to-win person with a yield person, <clears throat> they seem to have a great marriage. Because fight-to-win person says, this way it's good. Okay, yeah, you're right. Problem solved, right? But they don't have connection. And you know what happens to the conflict? Unlike fight-to-win where it's out there and obvious, yield people carry all the conflict in here. And there are people today that are carrying around all of this conflict internally. And when they run into that person that they've got all this conflict with because they said it was fine, they said it was okay, they said all those things, and the person did it, and now they're upset that they went ahead and ran over them. When they meet them, they act like everything's great. They'll say things like, you're awesome, you're great. But then in closed circles, when they're with other people, They will talk about that conflict and how frustrated they are with that person, but they'll never actually bring it up. So what is God's plan? It is for you and I to lovingly resolve. How do we do that? Place the relationship at a higher priority than conflict. 
Can I ask you, in your marriages, in your parenting, in your work with your coworkers, are you placing the relationship at a higher priority or the conflict? Because most of us today are given priority to the conflict, not to the connection. But when two believers come together, and let's say it's a husband and wife, and they've got a conflict in their life, but they choose to say, you know what, our relationship is of greater priority than the conflict. They don't bury the conflict. They don't ignore the conflict. They work through that conflict. And here's what they do. They come together, and the first thing they do is identify the conflict. Let's say they're fighting over the parenting styles. Maybe dad's a little too much of a disciplinarian, and maybe mom's a little too lenient. They both have a problem in that. But what they do is they identify, we've got a problem and it's a parenting problem because we're not on the same page. Some of you have never resolved a conflict because you've never identified the conflict. And so here's what happens. You've got 20 years worth of conflicts and when you have a new conflict on Monday, guess what you're going to do? You're going to drag out all 20 years of conflict. And it becomes incredibly confusing because you never resolve anything because you're talking about this and 10 years ago this and then this and it's just like, You can't resolve anything. You bury the hatchet with the handle up. It's readily accessible. Next time we have a conflict, I'm ready to go. Let's go to war. And we call that marriage. Second thing that we do is we both identify what we've been doing that has not been working, where we are at fault. Why is this important? Because our tendency is to play the blame game. This is what you do, but I'm, I'm perfect. But when I admit and I say, look, this is how I contribute to the problem. Regardless of why, this is what I do that's wrong that I need to stop doing. And Angel, she shares what she needs to do. Neither one of us are blaming each other. Second, talk about the things that you've been doing to resolve the problem or that haven't been working. Why do we want to know What doesn't work? Because insanity is trying to do the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Number three, pray. Or four, sit down, brainstorm. Involve God in this process and start saying, what are some solutions? What are things that we could do differently? Then pick one of those. Set a certain amount of time that you're going to work on that issue. Maybe it's a month. Maybe it's we're going to try this solution for six weeks And then we're going to set a time where we come back together and we discuss, did it work, did it not work? If it didn't work, we go back to the brainstorming and involving God and pick something else that we're going to try. But here's what we do if it did work. We celebrate. Why? Because we've resolved conflict. That's what God wants us to do. And most of us today, we're living in the conflict, not in the celebration Now, some of you are like, man, that just seems so easy. It is if we would actually come together and recognize we belong to the Lord. And so because we're believers in the Lord, we need to resolve these things. But sometimes it takes outside help. And Paul recognized that with these two women. It's not that they didn't know enough of the word. It's not that they hadn't been great witnesses for Jesus in their past. These were mature women and even mature believers can make a mess of it. And so Paul says, look, we need partners in peace. And who are the partners in peace? It was his true partners, 
partners in the gospel, people that were putting Jesus first, people that were serving the Savior, people that are not going to pick sides. This is not, I'm going to go find a partner in the peace who's going to see things my way. No, this is someone who's firmly going to see it through the lens of the Lord. Because there may be some things that need to be said to me that I need to hear from God. So why don't we in our current culture invite partners in peace to process through our conflict? Because we see all conflict as private. It's none of your business. It's my problem. Can I ask you, was this conflict these women were going through just their problem? No, it was very public. Paul's over a thousand miles away in Rome and he knows about it. Okay? The whole church is aware of it. And here's what we're doing today. We are believing that because we value privacy in America, that we can just resolve our own things. And we, we can just live in conflict with people. And it's okay to just live in conflict and come to church and praise Jesus and ignore the conflicts in our life and never resolve those broken relationships. Do you realize here that Paul actually calls these women by name? And this letter would have been read publicly. Can you imagine if we did that today? I mean, what he's saying to these two women is you need to take personal responsibility because you belong to the Lord to resolve this. And church, those of you who are mature, you need to come and you need to be partners in peace because this is not how God's house is handled. Can you imagine if we were reading the letter today? Giles, I wonder who he's talking about. I mean, Yodi, Syntyche, I don't know that there was probably four women in the church named Syntyche. It's pretty obvious who he's talking to, right? Here's what you need to understand. Paul values the fellowship of the church over the privacy of the individual when it comes to conflict, and so should we. Number four, probably one of the most overlooked, praise. What does he say here? Rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. He doesn't just say rejoice, and four verses later, it's like rejoice, you've already forgotten it, and again, I say rejoice. Why? Because when we have problems, what's one of the first things that we forgo? Praise. We trade worship for worry on a regular basis. Are you making your praise based on Christ? or your current crisis. Do you remember when Paul and Silas were in prison? What were they doing? They'd been beaten with rods. They're in the inner dungeon, and they were pouting, right? That's what good Christians do when they have problems. They pout. No, it says they were praising. There's power in praise. And I'm telling you, it's easy for us to be here and praise Jesus with a worship team and all that kind of stuff. And then we run into Monday and we got this problem and that problem. What happens to your praise? What are you going to base it on? Do you see the connection here between peace and praise? Because what does praise do? It focuses you on God's presence. And in his presence, there is peace. Number five, highly practical. Be polite. Notice what he says, be considerate in everything that you do. What does it mean to be considerate? It means to put other people's needs ahead of your own, right? I've discovered this. The more considerate I am, the less conflict I have. Kind of like the more I love, the less conflict I have. 
Now, I was in Walmart the other day, and uh, two days ago, in fact. <clears throat> I was getting ready to leave, and uh, I'd parked over by the side, so I need to go through that side door, not the you know, automatic sliding doors that say enter and exit. And apparently we need to teach people to read, but that's a whole nother sermon. So I I go around the corner and here's this lady and it's pretty narrow in there. And she's got a shopping cart that's just piled high. She's got all the groceries bought and she's getting her coat on and and she's right in the way. I mean, that's not very considerate. So I just shoved her out the way. I mean, I had a place to go, people to see, things to do. You're not going to be considerate. Neither am I. No, I didn't do that. Don't worry. Some of you are speed dialing the elders. Keep him from Walmart. But see, that's how most of us respond when it comes to considerate. You're not considerate. I'm not going to be considerate. We're basing our consideration on other people instead of on our position in Jesus Christ and our witness for Jesus Christ. So here's what I did. I asked her politely, can I, can I just squeeze by you there for a minute? Not so I could leave. But have you ever tried to push a door open while you're pushing a cart and the wind's blowing? It's not real easy, is it? I mean, I knew the struggle she was going to have. And sometimes if we just take a few minutes and be considerate, we'd recognize the struggles of other people. But see, most of us, we're, we just see it as an inconvenience. We don't see it as an opportunity to be considerate. Again, the more considerate we are, the less conflict we'll have. What if? What if you just be considerate and make your wife a cup of coffee? What if you be considerate and just write your kids a note? Stick it in the book bag? What if you start to be considerate and maybe, guys, make the bed once in a while? Do the dishes. Open the car door for your wife. These are small things, but what is he saying? Be considerate in everything that you do. Number six, focus on the promise. I love this. Jesus Christ is coming back. We talked a lot about this last week. And here's what I want you to think about. When you have conflicts, are you willing to filter those through the lens of eternity? In other words, Christ is coming back. Is this conflict really worth it? Am I really going to spend my energy fighting about this? And some of us were fighting about things that, you know, really don't matter. There have been churches that have been split in two because people didn't like the color of the carpet. Now, I understand. I I don't know all of what went on in the 70s because I really was only a baby for just a smidge of it. But here's the thing. I know there was drugs involved, and some of that was evidenced in, in, in some of the choices of color in the carpet. And there were a lot of churches that were decked out in this burnt orange shag carpeting. I mean, this is the kind of carpet that you had to mow twice a week and you still couldn't kill. It's called ironwood. We, we can't even make carpet that lasts that long anymore. I've preached in churches where while I was preaching, I had this, it's not a godly thought. I had this thought, man, I'm thankful this isn't my home church. But here's the deal. Do you think when Christ comes back and we say, Jesus, I split the church and we got rid of the carpet, that Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? No, he's going to look at us and say, why'd you waste your time on conflicts that don't matter? Move on. It's a preference issue. Get over your preference. 
You see, you and I need to ask ourselves, what are we going to spend our energy on? Number seven, I love this, pray. How many of us today are panicking instead of praying? We have an epidemic of anxiety in our culture today. And I want to be sensitive on this because there are some of us that, that we, we don't have certain chemicals in our body that are naturally made, and I get all of that. But how much of our anxiety today is because we're going to worry and not to the word? And it's killing us. And here's what's happening in the church. We've become worriers instead of warriors for Jesus Christ. First Peter 5, 7. Cast all of your anxiety, all of your cares on him, for he cares for you. Several things you need to understand about this verse. First thing that, that Scripture is saying, you can't carry your cares. You weren't designed to carry your cares. If you were designed to carry your cares, we wouldn't be commanded to cast. And this isn't a suggestion, this is a command. Secondly, cast them on who? The one who cares for you. That's not Facebook. That's God the Father, right? And, and here's the thing. Most of us, we are casting our cares. We're posting all of our cares today to Facebook instead of going to God the Father. The other thing you need to understand is that he can handle it. I'm casting my cares to Christ because what he cares for me first and foremost. And secondly, he can carry it. He was designed to carry it. Now, let me show you what casting looks like. Okay? You ready? It's really scientific. Ready? Ready? What's the problem? You got to let go. It's not that hard. But how many of us today are, we go to God and we won't let go. Now, here's how most of us are treating that scripture when it comes to prayer. We cast, right? It's over there. You get back. Our care is now firmly in God's court. Do you realize that casting your cares in prayer is a transfer of trust? I can't handle it, and I trust Jesus to handle this for me. But that means you've got to trust two things about Jesus. Number one, his ability to handle your cares, and number two, his timing. Here's what we do. Jesus, it's been in your court for 31 seconds, and you haven't handled it. I am taking it back. Now think about the insanity of that for a moment. We're casting and we're taking it back. We're casting and we're taking it back. Why? Well, Jesus, you had it for 31 seconds and you didn't resolve it immediately. Now I'm going to take it back. Now you've been carrying it for five years unsuccessfully. You can't carry it. So I want to ask you this question. Are you casting your cares or are you carrying your cares today? Number eight, petition with thanksgiving. It's not just about you storming into God's throne room and saying, here's my junk. It's also about an attitude of thanksgiving. And here's the thing. Thanksgiving here is not a day on the calendar once a year. It is a decision of the heart. Now, there are some things that get in the way of a thankful heart. And one of those is comparison. Comparison is killing us today. We're comparing our clothes, we're comparing our cars, our careers, our kids. We compare everything. And we primarily do this comparison through the false lens of social media. So we see that family on vacation. 
and they're just smiling and they're perfect and everything's great. And we're thinking, why can't my family be like that family? You've been there. But little do we realize that for two hours prior to the photo, they were fighting with each other, yelling at each other, carrying on until someone yelled, we're doing a family photo. Get in here and smile. You've been there. And you've got this one moment that looks glorious, but you're missing all the gore. And you're going, I wish our family were like that. If you really knew, you you wouldn't. Do you know what comparison is? Comparison is the thief of peace and joy in our life. And I think the reason many of us don't have peace and joy in our life is we're constantly comparing, comparing, comparing. What do you have to be thankful for? I want you to listen to this song with me. This is a modern uh, remake in some ways of the old hymn, Count Your Blessings. And I want you to ask yourself this question as you listen to it. Do I have an attitude of gratitude or grumbling? I was blind, now I'm seeing in color. I was dead, now I'm living forever. I had failed, but you were my redeemer. I've been blessed beyond all measure. I was lost, now I'm found by the Father. I've been changed from a treasure I've been given a hope and a future I've been blessed beyond all measure I am counting every blessing counting every blessing letting go and trusting when I cannot see I am counting every blessing counting every blessing to me. Oh, 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 oh,
For number nine, ponder what is pure. Notice what he says here. One final thing fix your thoughts on what is true instead of focusing on the lies. Honorable instead of the unjust. Right instead of wrong. Pure instead of polluted. Lovely instead of hateful. Admirable instead of bad. Praiseworthy instead of the problems. What's your thought life like? There is a huge connection between purity and peace, focusing on the things that God wants you to. And most of us, we are regurgitating the garbage, not the things of God. Lastly, notice what he says here. Number 10, practice obedience. Put this into practice. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and you've received from me, everything that you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So it's not a formula. It's a prescription. When you go to the doctor and he issues you a prescription, it's not enough just to fill the prescription. You've got to follow the prescription. So let me ask you in your life, when it comes to this prescription for peace, where are you struggling? Do you have a proper perspective when it comes to people? Are you responding out of your position in Christ? Are you pursuing peace in a right way and not in a broken, worldly way? Are you being polite, considerate with the people around you? Are you focusing on the promise that Jesus Christ is coming back? Are you praying about these things? Are you petitioning with thanksgiving? Are you pondering what is pure? Are you putting it into practice? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for how you speak to us and how you encourage us. And I do pray for the current conflicts that we have, that we would choose to follow your prescription for peace. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's be dismissed.